now we're talking about Embrace Grace. If you're here visiting for the first time, our pastor, he is a man, this, this is a tender-hearted man, and he's very smart, and he knows that we Christians have a way of embracing grace when it comes to salvation and then leaving that grace at the foot of the cross and going right on with our life trying to run it on our own power. He knows that. We all struggle with that. That is the, that is the, the, the believer's dilemma. And so he's, he's decided to let's dial in on grace and figure out what does God's grace look like when it transforms our heart at salvation and then changes the game changer from there on out, how it affects all relationships. And we're looking right now at this section of the year on family. We've looked at marriage, We've looked at single parents, and now it's time to talk about grandparenting. And you say, well, then I can check out because I'm not a grandparent. Actually, you've you got to stay right with me, and here's why. There's three types of people listening to me right now. You either have grandparents, you're going to be a grandparent, or you are a grandparent. And what I'm going to share with you is for all of us, because if you aren't one yet and you're going to be one, you need to pay attention as we go. Uh, because this is a, a, a phenomenal era of life, and we need, to, we need to do it deliberately. And when you're the grandparent, and you're also the speaker, you get to use your grandkids on, on the graphics. So there's <laughs> Riley and Lydia. Because I know if we all started, we just pull out our phones, start showing everybody, everybody's uh, grandkids' pictures. And, and I turned 60 last July. And... Uh, I said, Darcy, don't worry. It's a new 40. She says, for you, it's a new six. <laughs> what is that about? But, but one of the things I was looking forward to at this era in my life is trying to uh, really figure out how God's grace plays out in these final laps of our lives. And, and, and probably the biggest area I saw is that he could really raise us up to, to make an effective impact on the next generation through grandparenting. And, and when we became grandparents, we, we figured out something that's so cool. Do you know the grandparents get along so much better with grandchildren than those children actually get along with their parents? Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's part of the grand conspiracy, and we figured out why. See, the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is that they both share a common source of annoyance. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so we're looking forward to this era. Let, let's ask God for some help as we, look, as we look into his heart on this. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for everybody that is here right now, everybody that's going to hear this message. You know them completely. You know how many hairs are on their head. You, you know their, the backstories of their life. You know those secret areas of their life that they hope nobody ever goes into. And yet you love them in spite of that. You know us so well. You love us so much. And Lord, you have put us here for purpose. And as we come through life and the different stages of life, Lord, we want to learn well as we go so that when we come to the end of our lives, we can look back and hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servants. Help us now as we figure out from your word how to be more effective grandparents. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As a young man, I've always, my mind always works from the complex to the simple, and the more I can simplify my thinking, the better I do in life, and, and I, I, I figured out early on that there, there's a way to judge character. It was my litmus test for character, and, that, and, and I, 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 I evaluate people many times, how do they treat little children, and how do they treat old people? Do they have tender hearts? Are they sensitive to them? 
And that tells a lot about what's going on inside that person, doesn't it? And in the same way, I think how grandparents treat children and how grand, grandchildren look up to grandparents has a whole lot to say about what's going on in our families too. And that's why we need grace. If I was to distill our calling, what, what grace looks like played out in a life, here's what I would say. I think people defined by the grace of God exude a passionate love for Jesus Christ that shows itself in an unquenchable love and concern for others. That's how you can tell grace is really pouring out because they, the, the passion for Jesus Christ is obvious. It's not compartmentalized. You can just tell it without them overwhelming you or, 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 or being ridiculous about it. You can just tell that they love Jesus. And, and, and the way you can see it is they have this, this tender heart, this compassionate love concern and respect for others. So when grandparents are doing that down to grandchildren and the younger generations are moving it upwards to the older generation, then we've got a winning combination. If I could pick any passage of scripture out to to, to hang everything on, I, I love Psalm 71 verses 17 and 18. In fact, this is one of those passages of Scripture that I think would be the theme verses for all of us as we move into our our grandparenting years. Look at this wonderful passage. It says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. When you're young, he said, we, we should make it in, our, in our, our aim in our earlier years to let God teach us about himself through his word and through the different ways that that word comes at us, through our parents, through our teachers at, 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 at church, and, and through our mentors. And so God provides that through family and church for us to really pour into these young people. But apparently the writer of this, it's not identified as David, this particular song. This writer is probably in his middle years. And he is saying that we should also, as we've gone up through the ranks, be quick to give ongoing testimony of God's glory working in our lives from our front row seat to his majesty. So as you walk with God through life, you get a front row seat to watch him do great things in your life. But then he says, but when we, when we get old and gray, we should use the platform of our twilight years to be an ongoing testimony to the power and presence of Jesus to the people he gives us the privilege to influence. And the best way, the best vehicle I know of is letting the power of God's grace living through us in righteous living. Now, if you were here last week, what I, what I try to do is, is compare the dilemma that we have when we try to create our own systems, our man-made natural systems to break God's a relationship with God into its, its moving parts and do it in our steam. And it's a very dangerous thing. It's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? And I call that thing the graceless. But, I, but then on the right side of it, I said, what, here's what grace looks like when it's connected, when we're connected to the heart of God and, and the grace is coming from Jesus into our hearts and back out into life. And uh, let me just kind of rifle through that. And by the way, if you want to see the whole grace list and download it and study it more. If you go to familymatters.net, just go to familymatters.net. There's an icon there that says the grace list. Click on that and you'll be able to get into this deeper. We're also going to be putting the annotated version of that with all the scriptures on it. And you'll see that God meant for us to take his grace and let it now reflect through our lives to lead to wonderful, obedient lives that come from his power. Watch this though. Look at these wonderful words that stand out there. 
When it comes, now think about our role as grandparents. That we're people that, that trust God, therefore we're trustworthy. We're new. The concept there is that, that we're, we're, we're never, we don't want to get our lives sedentary. We don't want to have a mothballed spiritual relationship with, with God where it's, it's from the past and not current. We always want to stay something fresh and new. And then we dance through life with Jesus. And they can see no matter what the rhythms are that we have come to this point in our life where they can, they can learn to, to the, the, the dance of life from us. And, and because we have that relationship with Jesus, it's a delightful life that we get to live. It's a life of faith, and, and it creates calm in the midst of all the rough things that we go through in life. And they, that our grandchildren can see a transparency in us, in a vulnerability in us, a compassionate nature, and an empathetic nature. All these things are wonderful parts of a relationship with God through his grace. And then we end up, we, 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 we present humble lifestyles that are obedient to God. Proverbs 17, 6 says that grandchildren are a crown to the aged. They're a crown to the aged. They're our reward. If anything, they're our reward for not selling our kids. <laughs> and I'm sure the thought crossed your mind. If there would have been a section on Craigslist, you're gone, man. I, I, you're driving me nuts. But God offers grandparents a chance to come alongside their children and cheer them on as they assist God in the miracle of new life. He, he gives us the opportunity to, to help them take those new lives and give those new lives great meaning. If anything illustrates our role as grandparents, let me show you what I think illustrates it. Let me tell you, I love the game of golf. I'm not very good at it, though, because I don't get to play much. But I love golf. But here's the problem with golf. When you learn the game of golf, and, and, and you, you just come out of your shoes on one, and boom, and you knock that thing in the water, that's stroke and distance. That's going to cost you. And then you knock the next one in the woods. Once again, your score is looking bad. Well, if you have some gracious friends in the foursome with you, everyone's going to say, look, you're having a rough hole. How about play a mulligan? You all know what a mulligan is? The golfers know. If you're not a golfer, a mulligan is a do-over. It's like we're not going to count what just happened. We're going to act like it wasn't there. That's grandparenting, isn't it? Because when we're young and we're parents, we don't know what we're doing. We make all kinds of goofy mistakes, and we knock the kids in the woods in the lake. We don't know. <laughs> but we become grandparents. Say, hey, I think I can keep this one between the lines, and, and you can hit better. Well, see, this is our chance. Uh, uh, this wonderful, divine do-over of being grandparents. You know, when, when I think of, of, of grandparents, it's a marvelous love affair. Darcy and I like to refer to it as grand love. And, and, and we are the graying remnant of a generation who managed to turn our country upside down when we were young, aren't we? There are over 80 million of us right now. But get this, because of the baby boomers, in the next few years, tens of millions more are going to be added to the ranks of grandparents. Because the average age of a grandparent is 47 years old. First time grandparent. And when you figure that you live to be average age 76, 77, that means 30 years. We have three decades. It's a whole new uh, generation that we get the impact. And, and we, we can bring so much more to the table because, because of where we've been and where we've come from. When you look at this generation of grandparents, compared to what has gone before, we're better educated, we're more active, we're more fit, we're more widely traveled than our predecessors. Technically, we're the youngest 
older generation that has ever existed. And so there's much on the plate here, and we've got to be deliberate about it and not accidental. Because we have things that we bring to the table, like maturity and experience and perspective as grandparents. And we should be able to take these things and parlay them into real assets for our children. Plus, we can give them assistance. We can come alongside them when they're up against the wall and really touch them with, with, with all that experience and, and uh, wisdom. We can, we can touch them. We, we can give them time and relieve them when they're discouraged or exhausted or sick. Maybe their marriage is going through a tough time. We can slip in there. Grandparents can play a big role when marriages are, 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 are really struggling because when kids think their parents are going through a divorce or they're in the process of going to, through a divorce, the, kid, the grandkids are thinking their world is falling apart. And grandparents can come into their lives and say, look, it looks like your immediate world is falling apart, but your bigger world is still very much to, intact. And we are part of that bigger world. We will be with you through this. And we're going to be waiting for you. Uh, no matter what happens, we will stick with you. And, and love on you. And so we can be sounding boards to them. And then what about the money? You know, when, when you, as you, if, if you've handled your money well, you come to a point where you can be in a position to come alongside and help. Uh, Ron Blue is a great manager of money. He's the one that's handled our finances all of our adult life. And he gave us some great advice early on. He says, you know, your kids don't need your money when you finally die and they're 50 or 60 years old. They need it when they're young and they don't have any. Now, at the same time, though, he also gives the principles, and the Bible gives us principles, that what we want to do as an older generation, when it comes to financially helping the younger generation, you always want to be a hand up, never a hand out. See the difference there? That there's ways that we can come alongside when they're up against the wall, help them out without making them codependent on us, because that, be, that would be wrong and evil. But there's ways we can help. So all these things come together, and we look at our role as grandparents. And what I want to do is I want to unpack for you four roles that we can have as grandparents in our grandkids' lives. And if you are not a grandparent, now you get a real head start on the whole process because you can see now what, is the, what God is expecting of you when you get there and put all the pieces in place. The first role that we have in their life is to be a blessing giver. A blessing giver. It's putting high value on people. Jesus always placed high value on people, even people who had really lost their way. And sometimes our grandkids lose their way. He was always giving them something bigger and better to hope for in life through a relationship with him. And, and we get a chance to attach that value to our kids. Uh, here's what's interesting. When, when, you know, like with the, the, the grand girls, it's often we voice things like, you know, I can just tell when you grow up, you're going to be a great mom. I can just tell you have it. In, or, I, you know, God's going to bring a wonderful man along like your daddy, and he's going to, he's going to team up with you, and you guys are going to get married. You're going to, have a, you're going to be a wonderful uh, wife someday. You see, you build that into them in advance. Here's what's interesting. When kids have regularly had uh, strong affirmation built into them, they can go into the most hostile world out there, and they actually thrive. They can actually get better. However, the, other, the, the opposite is true. When kids are not given a, a vocal blessing from the, from the adults in their life, especially the, the grandparents, they can go into a world where it's very conducive, very complimentary, and they feel insecure. That's the power of it all. Let me, let me kind of show you two, two dimensions on this. One has to do with an overarching attitude we can have in our kids' life, and then a, a second is a specific way. There are three... 
uh, three needs that all kids are born with. And, and grandparents need to be deliberate about meeting those three driving inner needs of a human heart. Now, there aren't two, and there aren't four. There are three. Three inner needs. All kids are, are born with a strong need to know that they are secure and that they are significant, that they have intrinsic worth and value, and that they are strong or sufficient to take on what life is bringing their way. That's, that's from God. He made them that way. Our job as grandparents and even parents is that we want to be always appealing to those three inner needs to meet them in a way that draws them closer to God. So every word you say and every action into their life wants to be meeting those needs. And what I like to do is I take the needs and I put some words to them. So it gives me more of a target. And, and, and we want to build a secure love into our children and grandchildren a significant purpose and a strong hope. And so that's one of the ways that we can bless them when the grandkids are around us and we realize this kid is driven deep down in his heart to know that they're secure, significant, and strong. And everything about us is always appealing to that. Look at how much that changes it. And, and here's a wonderful verse. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, it says, the memory of the righteous will be a blessing. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing. So someday... Darcy and I are going to pass out of the picture of our grandchildren's life. It's just part of it all. And yet, if you as a grandparent or us have been building into a secure love, a significant purpose, a strong hope into them, and all the time we had contact with them, then, then our memory will continue to be a blessing to them. Even, the, even when we're way off the scene, we'll continue to be grandparenting into their heart by building that and putting that in place. And, and obviously people pray for, for their grandchildren every day and, and encourage them to grow in their spiritual life. I love this verse in 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm per persuaded now lives in you. A second, a second specific way we can bless our kids comes from the, from the um, computer of our, our, our own John Trent. He wrote a wonderful book called The Blessing. And in there, he, he studied the Old Testament um, patriarchs as they blessed their, their children. And he, and he distilled from them five ways that we can bless our children. A meaningful touch, encouraging words, and expressing high value, picturing a hopeful future, and an active commitment to them. And by the way, if you've not read that book, that should be required reading for a follower of Jesus, because it, is, it should be second nature to us as we deal with other people, especially our children and our grandchildren. We always want to use each day as an opportunity to continue to connect and build blessing into their life. Now, one of the surest ways to undermine our ability to bless our grandchildren is to show favoritism. Now, obviously, some grandchildren live closer, and they get more time with grandma and grandpa. Or in our, in our, our names are Papa and Nana. Uh, the grandkids get naming rights. When they're your kids, you get to name the kids, but grandkids come, they get to name the grandparents. That's just part of the deal. And, and, and so they live closer. You might see them more. And then because of the age of a grandchild or a certain interest, you might see them more. But you want, you want to make sure that you have the same intensity of love towards all your grandchildren, even if they're off on, on, the, on the points of the compass. And now we're very fortunate to have technology that can connect us right to them. Um, <clears throat> you know, I have uh, the ability to FaceTime with our, our son 
and, and daughter-in-law in Dallas. They have our, our, our grandson, Kyler. And I remember when um, this new phone, this, this iPhone came out that you could actually uh, FaceTime, he didn't have the technology and he had the older iPhone. So we went there to visit him to see the baby and I took him right down to the app store and said, we're going to buy you. I want to upgrade you to an iPhone 4. He was just going on, oh, Dad, this is so kind to you. Man, I really appreciate it. And then second time, he said, Dad, I really appreciate you doing it. And then the third time, we're fine. I said, Cody, Cody, please. This isn't because of you. <laughs> I know what you look like when I'm talking to you. I'm getting it so I can watch the baby grow up. <laughs> and just Friday, the baby learned to walk the distance of the hallway, and they the, uh, crawl, excuse me, crawl the distance of the hallway, and they called us up, and we watched it right here on FaceTime. And then we talked to that baby. You see, there's a lot of ways that we can do that. that, that technology gives us the ability now that we didn't have in the past. And, and, and by the way, when families blend together, there's a lot of reasons why, and, and, and remarriages and so forth blend together. You've you, you got to see this thing. The, 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 don't look at the stepchildren as, as once removed. Men in life, God is expanding your ability to love more people and show grace to them. It hurts a child to come in when grandparents come in with the birthday gifts and the Christmas gifts for the, the ones from the bio, biological line and so forth. No, 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 that's not how graceful people would be. God says expand the love and expand the influence of the grace. A second way, second role we can have as grandparents is bearing a torch of the gospel and moral living. To bear a torch of the gospel, a steady light that illuminates their past. Now, I, I think the best parallel for this is how the Olympic flame gets from Mount Olympus to the hosting stadium. We all know how it works. Somebody lights a torch up there on top of Mount Olympus, and then this torch is handed through thousands of different hands across the continents to wherever the Olympics are being featured, and it's a big part of the tradition. Well, I think it's also a great illustration of grandparenting. We're part of a long line of people who have passed the light of Jesus Christ down through the generations. Now, I don't know about you, but I I've never had the chance to carry the Olympic torch, but if I ever did, I know this, that if I was carrying that torch, here's what would be on my mind. Whatever you do, Kimmel, do not trip. Do not fall. Do not let this thing hit the ground. Do not let this light go out. This is a very important job you have here. You got to get it from that person to that person. And that's our job as grandparents. We can't see this thing in an accidental way. God wants us to take that light on to the next generation. Well, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men, look at this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So our grandchildren can be watching us and seeing God's goodness come out of us. And here's where they need to see the goodness coming out. This is how they'll know it's God, under stress. When life isn't treating us that well, and they see goodness coming out. That's the power and presence of Jesus coming out of us. They'll see that, and it says they will glorify their Father who is in heaven. So even after we're gone, how we lived our life as that light of the world makes all the difference in the world. Now, as torchbearers of the gospel to our grandchildren, we need to realize that 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 evangelism is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of a grandparent or a parent. 
Jesus the Holy, and God the Holy Spirit, he draws people to himself. Our job is to create an environment or an atmosphere where they can get exposed to the gospel and they hear about it. We take them to church. We read them books. We sing them songs. There's all kinds of things you can do. You pay for their camp. And they, they get it. But, but see, we're to be the light of the world. But we're not supposed to chase them around with it. We've got to be careful here because some people's idea, some Christians' idea of being the light of the world is like the high beams of a car on a deer at night. You know, first it blinds them, and then it runs them down. You know, be careful on this one, friends, because we can, we can get our egos involved. There's, there, God, God can draw your kids in, no problem at all. And then keep this in mind, too. If we nitpick on their clothing and their styles, their hairstyles, their music, their overall problems with their culture, we, we shut ourselves off to being legitimate bearers of the gospel to them. I love this verse here in 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now listen, if you're a grandparent, you're going to have some prodigal grandchildren. If you have a bunch of grandkids, some of them will go prodigal. And, and see, although we never condone or encourage their disobedience, they need to find in us someone whose love never wavers in our commitment to them and whose torch is always on to light the way back to God. And so this is this way, ultimately, even after we're gone, we can take delight that our children walk in the truth. Now, may I make one more application? Um, this, this, what we're talking about, being the light of the gospel, uh, exposes an elephant in the room. And I've always thought, if there's an elephant in the room, for heaven's sake, somebody introduce him so we'd all get to know him. Music is a big part of most people's lives. Music is also uh, always in const a constant state of transition and development. It's an extension of God's creative nature, and it's always reinventing itself in styles and new sounds. And for most people, the music that was popular when you were in high school, college, that first uh, the decade of your 20s, is a music that you really attach to and feel most comfortable with. And as young moms and dads, we tend to gravitate to churches that, among other things, has a musical worship sound and style that is within our age bracket, that aligns with our personal musical taste. And when Darcy and I were starting to raise our kids, you know, Bill Epley was the, youth, uh, was the music minister, and then, and then uh, um, Ed Wilmington. Th th these guys, they represented the music that we were all used to. We loved to hear it. That was kind of in our era, in, in our, our, our youthfulness. And so we brought our kids here. It was a wonderful time in our life. But as we age, we tend to want to lock that music style in as not only the style we prefer, but the style we expect when we come to church to worship. The problem with this is that music by nature is always changing. And more importantly, if we want to always be a church reaching out to the next generation of people who are seeking Jesus, or the next generation of people who are wanting to follow Jesus, it falls to, uh, to our church to be adjusting our music, musical worship style and sound as we go. It's vital if we as a church want to maintain an ability to seek and to save those who are lost. So what do we, the members of the more mature and hopefully spiritually seasoned generation do? Where does this leave us when it comes to living in the power of God's grace? Now, remember I said God's grace is focused upwards and outwards. Let's apply it to this particular situation here. I think grace 
should incline those of us who are older to be far more desirous of our church having a style and a sound that reaches the next generation. Are you with me? Does this make sense to you? Proverbs eleven twenty nine 29 says, he who brings trouble on his family will inherit the wind. An older generation's unwillingness to be flexible to the natural innovations that time has on music can bring a lot of trouble to the younger members of their family looking for hope. And it will set that older generation up to inherit the wind. The point of that is you inherit nothing. And the reason we all brought our children here when we were young is because this church was configured to where we were at that stage in our life. And, and it sounded like what we heard on the radio. Now, I want to say this so gently and so graciously <laughs> for all of us who are gray hairs. We had our turn. We had our turn to have a church that was configured to where our kids were when they were young. Okay, it's not our turn right now. There's a new generation coming along. And, and, and I think the older and hopefully more mature generation need to graciously defer to their needs of the young moms and dads coming with their kids and, and, and let them have their turn. Just like an older generation before us let us have our turn. Does that make sense? By this time in our life, we should be the generation that is most gracious, most magnanimous, most desirous of spiritually reaching the people who come along behind us, and far less desirous about protecting our worship musical turf. And, and, and here's the thing. I have all the music right here. You know, I, I, there's a certain taste we all have in music when we were young. I've got it right here. I can listen to it any time I want. I get in my car, I can listen to it any time I want. But when I come here, I want us to reach out to the next generation, and I'm perfectly fine with, 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 with sliding aside. And there's still plenty of pockets of ways that we can have music that we're, we're used to. In fact, tonight, they're going to light it up, and you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about, a mixture of all genres of music and generations of music in such a wonderful way. But some people say, oh, it's just shallow. It's just shallow. No, no, it's not shallow. The new music being written is not shallow music. You say, well, well, I can show you something. Listen, every generation of Christian music has had some shallow offerings. Even ours did. So, so, but they're, they're, this stuff is rich and deep. And, and, and our worship people here are very careful to only put the best of the best. In fact, most of the choruses you sang here, you know where they came from? The Word of God. They sing in the scriptures. And so, so we, we've just got to be real careful here. And, and, and for Darcy and I, we feel that one of the ways we can avoid growing out of touch or irrelevant to the generation that's coming up behind us is by allowing God to innovate our musical tastes as we grow older. And that's why we normally worship with the 1110 congregation. We love to see the joy and the passion of the young new generation of people worshiping God. And we've grown to love the music God is inspiring a new generation of musicians to write. But let me say one more thing to the younger, the new generation of worshipers who are coming here to Scottsdale Bible. Our church is working hard to innovate and present music that aligns with the sound and style that you're used to. But you would be smart to insist on keeping some musical worship connection to the past. There's spiritual gold in them, their hymns. And that's why you'll probably always hear some echoes of the generation of worshipers who went before you. And when you do, you should thank God for the heritage of faith he's offering through those great hymns. Now, I know the lynching crowd is getting ready. You can meet over on this side. 
and give it your best shot, but just let me explain something to you. You can't fire a slave. <laughs> I don't work here. But, you know, I, I believe we want to be people of the way, the truth, and the life. We want, to be, we want to be people who are gracious. And I don't know about you, but I want to use my twilight years to do everything I can to light up the way for the new generations coming along. And I don't think it's that much to ask. And I think it should be just a natural outgrowth of a heart of grace. Let's look at the third role that we have. And that is to set a clear moral and spiritual standard. GPSs, our uh, global positioning satellite systems, are, are fairly common in, in cars today. But I remember when Darcy and I rented our first car that had one. We have them in our cars now. But, but uh, we rented a car, and we were in Burbank, and we we're going to take a road trip up through the center of California to, to a place we were speaking at. And, and she's programmed the thing, and we got such a kick out of this thing telling us where to go and all that stuff. But then we got a hankering for a cup of cappuccino, and we took a side trip into Santa Barbara, and the thing went nuts. And it's just exasperated with us, and it's yelling at us in this Australian <laughs> accent, and it feels like I've broken its heart, and we just thought this is so funny. But then as we did some research on how these things work, we thought, this is a great illustration of grandparents, isn't it? Because, you know, there's usually at least two s satellites, many times more than that, that are vectoring in on you. And these satellites are so high up there. And they can see where, not only where you are, but where you're going and everything in between. And they, 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 they have a, a standard that they can go by to give us a clear path to follow. Uh, wow, what a great illustration of it all. Now, obviously, when it comes to standards, a standard is only good as it is accurate. I once lost seven pounds in one day simply by replacing my bathroom scales. <laughs> I was excited. This is great. But then I started second-guessing myself. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, which one? And, and I, I didn't know which one was the one I replaced. And so, so I actually carried it to my doctor's office with me because he had these ones that are highly calibrated. To ch Unfortunately, my ones I was replacing were more accurate. And that really chapped me. But, but anyway, you got to have an accurate standard to follow. Look at this verse. Uh, uh, well, well, before I show you this verse, let me, let me say this to you. Why is the standard setting so crucial? Because our children are growing up in a culture that has jettisoned clear moral absolutes. The worldview that surrounds them embraces relativism, pluralism, multiculturalism, spiritual curiosity, and general ignorance of Christian beliefs. And that's why they need somebody that is steady and reliable. And they can find that in this older generation that has walked with God longer. In, in Psalm 92, verse 12, 14 and 15, it says, the righteous will bear fruit in old age. And look at this, they will stay fresh and green. That's that talking about staying new, staying current, staying relative, staying connected, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. In John Steinbeck's book, The Grapes of Wrath, it's about, you know, middle America and the wheat farmers and the depression and, and how hard it was for them. And, and they would sometimes have these storms coming across the plains and, and, and the families would go out onto the farmyard and they would be looking at that storm. And it said that the men and the older, the older people would be looking out at the storm, but the children were looking at the faces of the older people to see whether they needed to be worried or not. 
Listen, with a world in crisis, living with threats of terror, the fickle nature of the economy, cataclysmic natural disasters, the younger generation looks to us to figure out whether or not they should be worried. Our grandchildren need to see grandparents who look past the storms on the horizon and who insist instead on trusting in a mighty, sovereign God who's got everything under control. They need to see that in us. To do that, let me just rifle off here in, in application six Though I'm just going to rifle through some character qualities that if we weave these into our life, and especially younger people, you weave them in now, when you're grandparents, it makes all the difference in the world. They need to see a contagious faith in us, don't they? They need to see a contagious faith, faith in a big God. As we go through the stages of life, like aging and health crises and family transitions, they need to see a consistent integrity. They need to see grandparents who are known for their unwavering honesty and trustworthiness, who don't bend the rules for their own self-interest. I was standing in a movie line, and I heard a man behind me say to the two kids that were with him, now, when we get up there, you know, I'm going to say that you're, you're 12, and it, that, that you're almost 13, but you're still 12, and so forth, and, and to these two boys. And so he's basically telling the kids to lie about their age so he could save a few bucks. But when I turned around, because I'm a, remember, I'm a minister. We're self-appointed overseers of everybody's business. That's what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. We give people the stink eye in those kind of situations. <laughs> and I turned around, but I was surprised to see that it was a very older man, an elderly man, and young kids. It was a granddad bringing his grandchildren. And I'm thinking, what are you, crazy? One of the great philosophers and theologians of the 20th century weighed in on this. Look at what John Wayne has to say about this. <laughs> he says, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. <laughs> and listen, being dishonest is stupid. It's stupid. Now, when we're young and we do those kind of things, why do we do them? Because we're young and we're stupid. That's what people are when they're young. They're foolish. But when you've got gray hair and you've been around the block for five or six decades, by now you should know integrity is so important because it poisons so many when we fall short of it. And here's this granddad teaching his grandsons how to lie, to save a few bucks. Psalm 15 says, Oh Lord, who may abide? in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Who, he who does these things will never be shaken. And I know a grandfather in a movie line that could use this advice. Besides contagious faith and consistent integrity, we need practical poise. Because childhood is an awkward time and they need older adults that are much more balanced. And I'll tell you what keeps the bubble in the middle for us is when we let God's grace wash over us. Look at this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? And do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. They need to see an older generation that keeps equilibrium in life. And grace is equilibrium. It knows the highs and lows, the ins and outs of life, and can help us lead, stay in the middle. And besides those other ones, we need to have personal discipline, especially over our tongues and our tempers. 
We need to have steadfast endurance because the world is overrun with quitters. And they need to see, see grandparents that don't quit even though we might be in our retirement years. Remember, retirement was not a biblical thing. It's a, it's a result of tax laws. Tax laws invented the retirement era. And there's nothing wrong with getting, getting rest from, well-deserved rest from your work, but that doesn't mean that we're supposed to put our lives on cruise control. Uh, or hit the pause button. We're supposed to be ramping up our lives because we have so much more to offer now. And then the, 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 the last way, uh, thing we can build into our lives is inspirational courage. Inspirational courage. Once again, our friend John Wayne put it this way. Courage is when you're scared to death, but you saddle up anyway. You have to do that. When you say, Courageous people are fearless. No, courageous people are not fearless. Fools are fearless. Courageous people have fears. They just have the right kinds. And when you have the right kind of fear, it casts out and overwhelms the wrong kind of fear. So what's the number one fear we need to have in our life, ladies and gentlemen? The fear of God. When we have the fear of God, then we can, over, we can overwhelm those other fears that get the best of us. I love the epitaph of Lord Lawrence in, in, in Westminster uh, cathedral in London, it says this, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. And when they see that in us, us older people, no matter what's coming our way, our, our grandkids can get so much of a head start on the life ahead of them. You know, when it comes to inspiring courage, actions speak louder than words. My father fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was in the 10th Armored Division of the 3rd Army. You never hear him boast about it, hardly ever said a word about it, but you could see evidence of his courage that he brought to the battlefield as a young man and the way he stood for righteousness as an older man. And the hardest battle my dad ever fought was the last one, his last one with lung cancer. It was by far the bravest I've ever seen him. And he gave me and my siblings and our children a standard to follow. Our grandchildren are watching folks. They're watching us. We need to have a standard here. So let me just say this in application on this particular point. For us older folks that are in our, are kind of coming into that last season of our life, listen, we need to show this younger generation how to die. We need to show them how people of faith die well. It might be something you start putting on your prayer you know, because I've started praying that if, if, once I turn 60, that's something I just add. I don't pray it every time. I say, Lord, when it's my turn, help me do this for your glory and show them how this is done. Let me show you, in closing, one more simple way that we can, one role that we can do, and that is to leave a legacy that never dies. A legacy that never dies. Legacies aren't an option. Everybody in this room is leaving a legacy it's a foregone conclusion. The only choice you have is what kind of legacy you're going to, to leave. It might mean that we have to repent of some huge mistakes and sins we committed as parents to the children that we raised. Listen, by this time in our life, we should all know how to eat crow. We should be able to write a cookbook for different ways to eat crow. <laughs> and, 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 and should we, us, the older people who initiate the connection to young people that we let down. So the, and, and, and it might even be vital for us to have a connection to their kids, our grandkids. Our true epithets are not going to be carved in stone. They will be carved in the souls and the memories of our children and our grandsons and our granddaughters. 
regardless of what someone someday chooses to write about us on our tombstones, those words can never overwrite what we were. God leaves the last word on our lives to those we leave behind. We're all writing the epitaphs of our life on the hearts of our children and our grandchildren. We're not the curators of the dead. We are stewards of the living. And we must help these ones following us move into tomorrow with confidence. And someday we will stand before God who bought our, our eternal souls on a cross, but now we're leaving a legacy. Then we'll give an account. Between now and then is all the time we have left, and we must make good use of it. I like the way Steve Green, singer Steve Green, summarized this in a, in a wonderful lyric that, and song that he sang. And, and I'm going to mention two songs here as we close out. He said this. He says, After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. And may the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. When Karis and Mike had our first grandchild, Riley, she was just a little thing, Easter came. And Karis was singing in the worship team here at Scottsdale Bible, and Mike was handling some of the sound uh, uh, needs. And so they had to be here real early. So we said, no problem. Bring the baby over to our house, and then we'll bring her to church. But then that caused a big conflict between Darcy and I on the way to church because we both wanted to carry Riley in. Because <laughs> we're new grandparents, and we're just so excited about her and one of all our friends. And, 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 and so, but, but I said, look, the, the best time is carrying her out because you have more time and people can ooh and ah more. And so how about, I'll drop you off. You go get us a seat. I'll park the car. I'll bring her in, and then I'll, I'll meet up with you. And then you can, you can carry her out. So that was the deal. So I was parking the car, and as I parked the car, I noticed that Riley had fallen asleep in her, in her car seat. And, 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 and I was listening to songs of the of, of my high school college age years, and a, and a ballad came on that I hadn't heard in a long time, Simon and Garfunkel's song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And I thought, well, this is a nice little song, and I'll let them serenade her, and then I'll take her into the nursery where all pandemonium is breaking out. But, but I didn't realize that God had a message for me through that song as a grandparent. Because as I listened to the words, those words washed over me, and it reminded me of a role I can play in that little girl's life. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. When time gets rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. God wants to touch us. He wants to reach out to us and use us in a mighty way to change the next generation. Two parents, excuse me, two grandparents were lying in an intensive care unit in a small town hospital in Pennsylvania. One was a lady named Winnie. The other was a man who was a financial pillar of his community. Winnie was a high school graduate. The man across the room had a sophisticated Ivy League education. Winnie had worked for slightly above minimum wage all of her life. The man across from her was one of the titans of local industry. Winnie was dying with a couple hundred dollars in the bank. The man across from her was dying with more money in the bank than most people make in, life, in several lifetimes. But the difference was that Winnie was rich, and the dying man across the ICU from her 
was re- had really nothing to show for his life. They both had children, and they both had grandchildren. And for the entire time they laid across the room from each other, Winnie had a constant stream of children and gan- grandchildren coming to be by her side. The many people she had lived her life for were now traveling from all the points of the compass just to hold her hand and stand by her side to the end. The man across the room had no visitors. He had lived for himself when he was young, and he had indulged himself as he got older. And now, with time running out, he suddenly realized it was too late. He had purchased all the recognition, accolades, and applauses he had received, but because he had not left his mark on the hearts of people he loved, no one came to hold his hand and weep over him when he died. Late one evening, as the nurse was preparing this man for a night of sleep, he inquired about the woman across the room with the children and the grandchildren. The nurse told him her name, told him her name and a little bit about the family. And he says, what are her chances of survival? And the nurse says, none. She'll be fortunate to live another few days. After a long pause, he says, I wish I could change places with Winnie. I'd give everything I have to be, be what, she has to her, what she is to her family. Now, I know this story because I was one of those people calling every morning and every night, checking on Winnie. I was one of those persons that traveled across the country to be by her side. That was Winifred Olive Kimmel, my mother. And shortly after that night, mom died. And very soon after that, so did the man. People came from all over the country to say goodbye to my mother. They stood outside in the rain for three nights for a chance to pay their last respects at the viewing. The titan of business, the Ivy Leaguer who had followed her to the grave while he had more family members show up for the reading of his will than he did for his funeral. My mother grandparented my children as a long-distance grandparent most of their youth. She grandparented them from heaven. But because she poured grace into me, she could continue to pass that on. That is the legacy that we all have before us. Anyone in this room has a chance to do the same thing, my friends. And it's all about God's grace living in you. And so, with that in mind, because God ultimately is going to call us, let's be blessing givers, torchbearers, standard setters, legacy makers, and bridges over troubled waters for a young and fragile generation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for creating families, and thank you especially for the gift of grandchildren. And I pray that you would protect and prepare this next generation morally and emotionally, intellectually and spiritually. And we, the caretakers of your grace, now offer ourselves to be used by you in the lives of our grandchildren to bless them, to light their way, to be good examples, and to leave a legacy through them that lasts forever. Help us leave footprints that are easy for them to follow. In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you.